What a powerful name it is. And what a powerful word it is. Amen. God's word is powerful. I'm going to ask you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, where we come again to the book of Acts this morning. Having begun in January in Genesis and reading our Bible through during the year 2017. You might want to notice in your bulletin the reading guide is there for you for October and for November and December. And uh, the middle of the month of December, guess what? You're done. Some of you are already done. But in the middle of December, if you're following the schedule, you'll be done reading the Bible through an ear. I'm sorry to tell you we won't be through with our preaching that that, that soon. Uh, we're just now in the book of Acts and... It'll take us a little bit longer to get through than the end of the year. But today we have uh, something very, very important to discuss and talk about. Uh, the Bible calls the pastor in one place a pastor teacher. This morning, Pastor Ron might be more the teacher than the preacher. Uh, but there are some things from the book of Acts that we would like to highlight and make us all aware of and give some reminders uh, that are consistent with Scripture. So if you would, now a few moments ago we were singing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. We're not going through this solo, amen? We have family. And how many of us know we need to learn how to treat family? Amen. We do. And that's what the Bible is going to talk with us about today and share with us. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, I'd like for us to look at that verse. It's going to be on the screen. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, would you read with me the rest of the verse? They were all with one accord in one place. Let's do that again. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, all together, they were all with one accord in one place. Now that one phrase there, being in one accord in one place, has captivated my heart for the last week or so. And, and thinking about what is it, Lord? What is the word that you have for us today? I don't mean just the, the scripture. What is the word? What is the message from you today, Lord, that you have for us? And it looked to me as if this scripture just jumped out as if it was in neon lights. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And you might say, well, I don't understand what's so important about that. Well, good. We'll share that with you over the next few moments because it is of supreme importance, not only to us, but to God. Unity is important to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to see that very plainly here. I have had uh, someone share with me years ago, never forgotten this, about the word fellowship. Somebody was defining fellowship and they said that fellowship simply means that all the fellows are in the same ship. That's fellowship. 
until they were reminded of the mutiny on the bounty. And then it can be understood that just because all the fellows are in the same ship, that doesn't mean there's fellowship, right? However, fellowship means all the fellows are in the same ship and they're all rowing in the same direction. Now we've got fellowship. We've got unity. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. It's not a small thing. And I'm going to share an Old Testament passage with you. And I'm going to share a New Testament passage with you to show how the Word of God values and gives importance to this particular subject. We're going in our Bibles, if you want to turn there, to Psalm 133. And then we'll be going to a New Testament passage as we complete this today. Psalm 133. This is a, um, in your Bible it probably says under the chapter heading there, a song of ascents. How many of you can see that in your Bible? Yes, yeah, several of you. A song of ascents. Ascent. Going up. Going up. A song of going up. It was a song that the Old Testament saints would sing as they were going up to Jerusalem to worship. Now there's a whole list of these here. This is one among many. This is the next to the last one that is labeled in the Bible as a song of ascent. But as the people were going up to worship, they were going up joyfully. They were going up happy. They were thrilled to get there. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, the psalmist said. So as they're going up to Jerusalem, because it, it was up, it was up on a mountain, up on a hill. They're going up to Jerusalem to worship. They would have been singing this. I'm not going to sing it today. I don't know the tune, but I know the words. Let's read them. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That didn't shake anybody up. I didn't even hear an amen. Behold, just look. Just look how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And because whoever wrote that probably knew we weren't going to get it. They went ahead to tell us why we should get it. And the next verse says, it is like... It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. That's what it's like. Unity is like that. And, you, that, and that still may leave you puzzled. But let's go back to the Old Testament times. You can go back and read in the books of Leviticus and some of those earlier books where the Lord gave instructions to the children of Israel about how to set up the tabernacle. What to wear, how to dress. There was even a prescription given, a formula, a recipe, if you will, given on how to make this anointing oil. What the ingredients were supposed to be. And when you made this oil, it was made out of some, some very precious materials. And the Bible says it was supposed to be holy unto the Lord. And it wasn't to be used for any other purpose. This was a special oil that the Lord himself prescribed for use with um, anointing the kings and the priests and whoever. When they need anointing oil, they'd use this. 
It's not to be replicated, not to be marketed, not to be used for any other place except this place. It was very special. And the Bible says, now they, they don't, they would have laughed at our anointing oil. Right? We use a little, uh, this James chapter 5, in case you don't know what I'm talking about. We believe in what James chapter 5 says, Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and anoint with uh, oil and pray the prayer of faith, lay hands on people and pray for them. We believe the Lord will heal. Still today, in 2017, amen? And we usually use a little bottle of oil like this and we put it on someone's forehead and we lay hands on them and we pray and we believe. And, and, and the Lord has worked miracles that way. And we use this. And that's the way we anoint. That's not the way they anointed in the Old Testament. They would have laughed at this. They had, they had a bucket almost. They had a, a great big container of oil. And boy, when you got anointed in the Old Testament, you went away greasy. You went away wet. Okay? And that's what this is talking about right here. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This is a big deal. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. You get the picture? He's getting soaked. His his head, his beard, his clothes are wet. Now, let me tell you this. You can, you can see that kind of oil, right? That much. You can see it. You can smell it. And you can feel it. It's hard to ignore that because you have been doused. You have been soaked. You are now fragrant. You, it, it, it affects so much about what has happened to you when they soak you with this anointing oil. It's fragrant, it can be seen, it can be felt, it, it's obvious something has happened. So the Bible says that's the way unity is. Unity can be felt, it can be smelt, it can be seen, it can be experienced. It's obvious when there's unity in a place. I got so blessed the other day talking to Tim as we were having dinner one night. And he his comment was, the first time I ever came in that church, I felt the Spirit of the Lord when I walked through the door. I said, yes, that's the way it's supposed to be. People are supposed to be able to feel the spirit of the Lord when they come in. And so when you, when you see unity, when you experience unity, you can see it, you can smell it, you can feel it. It's there. I'll tell you something else. You can tell when it's not there too. And the results are not good. So unity is so important. You can see it, you can smell it, you can feel it. And then it goes on to say, it is like the dew of Hermon. Descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And and, and so there's some people here who've been to Mount Hermon before. Most of us have not, but there's something very interesting about this place. If you if you were to Google it and research it, you'd find out that that Mount Hermon and that region there, that high mountain, probably has one of the highest levels of dew of anywhere on earth. I read where some man went there in 1867 or something, and I read his biography of what he wrote about that. And he said, we woke up in the night, and our tent floor was wet, and our guns were dripping, not from rain, but from dew. The dew was so heavy. And that dew gets so heavy that it runs down the mountains, and it waters all the plain, and it just refreshes everywhere it goes. Not rain, dew. 
because of the elevation and the ocean and, and the way everything is put together, this dew is so heavy. So when this writer said, it's like the dew of Hermon, it descends upon the mountains of Zion. It just flows everywhere it goes and it's something you can see and something you can feel and something that's refreshing. That's the way unity is. Now remember, they'd sing this while they were going to church. Behold how good and how pleasant it is to dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil and it's like the dew of Hermon. You can touch it. You can smell it. You can see it. You can feel it. It is pleasant. It is fertile and it is fruitful. Unity is a big deal, folks. And we're only getting started about what the Bible says about that. Now, let's turn to the New Testament. Actually, it's valuable this unity is it's crucial this unity is it's indispensable this unity is and we're supposed to do everything as christians within our power to preserve and protect that sounds like constitution doesn't preserve and protect but christians are supposed to preserve and protect the unity that's in the church according to scripture well ephesians 4 let's see what the new testament says Chapter chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So how are we supposed to walk as Christians? He says, with lowliness. With all lowliness. That is with humility. Not arrogance, pride. None of that. We as Christians, we're to walk with all lowliness. And with gentleness. And with long-suffering. You know anybody with a short fuse? Don't say their name. Just acknowledge you know them, okay? Do you know anybody with a short fuse? That's not long-suffering, is it? Christians, having been, been washed and cleansed and changed by the blood of Jesus... We're supposed to walk with humility and lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering. Not so quick to complain and not so quick to make a big deal mountain out of a molehill. We are long-suffering. As a matter of fact, we are bearing with one another in love. If you're married, say amen. amen. You know what you have to learn to do if you're married? You have to learn to bear with somebody in love. I'm right. I know I'm right. And we have to do that in all of our relationships. We have to learn to bear with people. People are different. People can be irritating. Even your spouse irritates you sometimes. Don't say amen then. That was probably wisdom that you didn't say amen that time. We all know it's the truth. And as family, we have learned, no matter how irritated we get with our spouse, we're going to put up with it because we promised when we said I do that we would. Amen? And we need that same kind of mentality... That we're going to preserve the unity among Christians in our church as we do we're going to preserve our marriage. In other words, some things we're just going to have to let them go. True? So the Bible says we're supposed to walk with lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering 
and bearing with one another in love, putting up with one another in love. Why are we going to do that? Well, we're going to do it because the Bible said to. Verse 3 says, we are endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me see if I can get an amen on this. There is, within the marriage relationship, a need, a need for sometimes for the husband and the wife, even though they're irritated, just to zip it up and say nothing. Amen. Because if you decide you're going to open your mouth about every irritation with your spouse, there's going to be trouble in paradise. True? So sometimes, in order to, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, we're going to, we're going to be humble. We're going to be gentle. We're going to be long-suffering. Now this is not Pastor Ron's opinion. This is the Word of God. We're going to be long-suffering. We're going to bear with one another in love. We're going to endeavor to keep the unity of the what? Of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. God values unity. God values. God blesses unity. A church, a marriage, a home, anywhere you go is in a mess without unity. It is. We need unity. Now, having gone that far, I forgot to get the, uh, is the laser pointer back there? I forgot to get that. Boy, those guys are on the ball. They just, all you got to do is speak it and it comes. I'm going to ask you for just a moment and, and just bear with me. We're not going to be here an awful long time. Uh, but there's, there's, a, there's a real message here that, that we need to get today from the book of Acts. If you would look at the screen, and there's going to be a map there, and some of you are going to groan. Oh, no, here we go again. First of all, let me read, let me read um, Acts 1, verse 8. As the, the book of Acts begins and Luke is telling us um, about what Jesus has done and said and building up to Pentecost and the growth of the church and so forth. Acts 1 verse 8, these are the words of Jesus there in red in your Bible if you have a red letter edition. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you, read the rest of it with me, and you shall be witnesses to me in and in all, and in, and to the end of the earth. Okay, here we go. There's a progression there, right? Now I want you to watch, if you would, on the map there. That area right in there, you probably can't read that, but that's Judea. That heavy print right there? That's Judea. And right in that area is Jerusalem, and Bethany, and Bethlehem, and the Mount of Olives. Right in there together. Now, Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses to me, beginning where? In Jerusalem. So you're going to start right there at Jerusalem, and you're going to be witnesses to me. Uh, but then he said, in all what? In all Judea. So after you've witnessed in Jerusalem, you're going to enlarge your scope, and you're going to come out here in all of Judea, and you're going to preach the gospel and win people. And then he said, you're going to do what? 
Then you're going to, having reached Judea and shared the gospel there, you're going to enlarge your borders up here to Samaria, right here. You're going to take in that area as well. And then he said, you're going to do what? Then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the world. So then we're going to go across the Mediterranean way up here. We're going to go all over the world with the gospel, all over the place. Carrying the message everywhere. Now, we see that in the book of Acts. As we read through the book of Acts. Next slide, please. In Jerusalem, the Jews dwelt there. And there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2, verse 4. I'm just going to try to read a verse that that reinforces what I'm trying to say. My point here. Jerusalem was where they began. And here they were in Jerusalem, Acts 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. These were Jews. And then when we turn to Acts chapter 8... We're going to read a different outpouring to a different group of people. This time it is to the Samaritans. And the Bible teaches us there, um, beginning at verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they, the Samaritans, received the Holy Spirit. So after that happens, then where's the gospel going to go? To the ends of the earth. To the Gentiles, wherever you find Gentiles. And we find the beginning of that process in Acts chapter 10 beginning at verse 44, where the Bible says, Acts 10, 44, while Peter was yet speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision, the Jews who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So what we have is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Jews at Jerusalem. We have an outpouring uh, in Samaria, on the Samaritans in Acts 8. And we have an outpouring on Gentiles that begins in um, Acts chapter 10 and then just keeps on going. Even through today. As the gospel is being shared to Gentiles. Now, if you would, let's go back to the map, please, Joe. And as we look at this map, how many of you know that this group of people right here in Judea have a completely different mindset, culture, belief, and practice than this group of people in Samaria? They were different, weren't they? Somebody tell me how the Jews looked at the Samaritans. Were they buddies? Did they love them? Did they hate them? They were dogs. They didn't count. That's the way they looked at them. They were actually, and don't anybody get offended at me. I'm just trying to teach you the Bible tonight or today. They were, the word means half-breeds. They were half-breeds. They were half-Jew and half-Gentile. And one of the captivities that took place, they took Jews out of Samaria and they put some foreigners in there and they began to marry each other. They had children. They weren't full-blooded Jews 
as, as a result, the Jews hated them and the Samaritans became a despised people. And there was a lot of friction between the two of them. But you know what Jesus did when he came? He not only went to the Jews, Jesus went to the woman at the well in Samaria. And he ministered to her and there were people in Samaria who believed in him. And then the Bible says that Jesus looked around at them and said, you see these fields here? Now they're in Samaria. Remember that. They're in Samaria. And Jesus pointed out to the fields. He said, now the fields are white unto harvest. We need laborers to go out and win them. Talking about the Samaritans. Now, there was a lot of problems between Jews and Samaritans. They didn't think like, they didn't look like, they had problems between each other. But you know what? When they came to the church, all that had to be laid aside. Amen. Because the Bible says in the church, in the body, there's no Jew and no Gentile, no male and female. You can forget all those differences. They got to go. We have to learn to be unified. And we have to learn to get along. Because we're in the same body. With the same Lord, the same God, the same Savior. He loves us all. None of us are his favorites. Amen. None of us are his favorites. Or maybe we should say all of us are his favorites. But I'm not speaking about Americans. All of his children, wherever they are found, they're the apple of his eye and he loves them all. Now, when you leave the area of Jerusalem and you leave the area of Samaria and you go to the uttermost parts of the earth, do you find some other problems there with people? And the way the Jews looked at them? Absolutely. And the way they looked at the Jews and still look at the Jews today? Problems there, aren't there? There needs to be some reconciliation. There needs to be some unity. It's a very difficult thing. So what we're looking at here is this, this scenario where you go out and share the gospel and people who come to the Lord come from very different backgrounds. Amen? They come from very different backgrounds, people groups, languages, you name it. People coming to the Listen, I understand that there's a whole lot of people who are involved in Islam that are turning to Christ right now. By the thousands. I mean, coming to Jesus. Having their sins washed away. Forgetting Islam and turning to Christ. And how would we as Christians, how are we supposed to respond to them? With open arms and welcome them in. Because they are my brothers and sisters as much as you are. Amen? So we're talking about unity in the body. Now, let's follow this, and we can do this very quickly. We're going to follow, beginning at Acts 2.42, Joe. We're going to follow the um, description of what's happening in the early church. After chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. Now, anybody know what steadfastly means? I suppose that would be the opposite of half-heartedly, wouldn't you think? So, man, they were in this... Full-fledged. They, they're giving it all they got. The Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And fellowship, which means what? You're all in the same ship and you're rowing the same way. And in breaking of bread, they like to eat, as we do. And in prayers, and then fear came upon people because they saw what was happening here. What? And the world is up. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Verse 44 says, now all who believed 
were together. Could you say together? They were together and they had all things in common. Verse 46 says, so continuing daily with what? One accord. So this wasn't, this wasn't Acts 2-1 earlier. This is a different one accord here. Or maybe I should say the same one accord at a different time. They're getting along. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. In other words, their unity and their ability to get along made other people on the outside who were looking toward them say, wow, that's amazing how those people get along. It's amazing how those people love one another. Because the Bible says that they had favor with all the people. The people who were around them looked and watched and saw what was happening. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. One heart and one soul. Acts chapter 5 verse 12, and they were all with one accord. Here's another one accord in Solomon's porch. Acts chapter 5 verse 12, it's on the screen. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet the people esteemed them highly. There it is again. The onlookers, the people on the outsider are looking at how they're in one accord, how they get along so good, how the love can be seen. And they're saying, I can't believe that. Look at that. And they esteemed them highly. And believers were more increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Sounds pretty good, right? Doesn't that sound good to you? And then there was a, there was a hiccup. Then there was a hiccup in Jerusalem. There was a little bumpy place. There was a little place where some trouble began to start. And the Bible tells us in chapter 6 that there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So what was happening was there was, we don't need to get into the details. The details are not important right here. There was one group in the church who felt like that they were being treated unfairly compared to another group. Somebody's getting preferential treatment and we're not being treated fairly. How many of you can see that that would be a problem? Sure. And so when this thing began to, to we could say, fester, uh, the word used there is complaint. There was obviously murmuring. It was creating quite a stir. It was spreading as complaining always does. And verse 3 says, Therefore, brethren, the apostle said, Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we, we may appoint over this business. Now i got to talk about that for a minute because I, I have had an eye opener this week. All my life I've heard that scripture. And it's always talking about choosing the deacons to take care of this business. And we have assumed that business means business. The business. 
you know, the important stuff, the, the money and the decision making, the business. That's not what that means at all here. I was astonished when I looked up that word business and began to study a little bit. And what it means is it's a situation. It means we got a situation here. And we have to choose some men to help us deal with this situation. What was the situation? The unity was disappearing. There was complaining. There was murmuring. This thing was getting out of hand and somebody needed to step up to the plate and do something. The apostles needed to be preaching the word and praying so they'd be ready to preach the word. And they said, we, we can't serve tables. We can't be a waitress in this situation. Let's choose some other people who we can trust, who are, who have wisdom and they're filled with the spirit and, and they love the Lord. They have a good reputation. Let's choose these people to handle this situation. Study it. Now, as a result of that business, we've taken that word and, boy, we've done all kinds of things with it. And, and we got churches all over America where the deacons have a really bad reputation because they're trying to run all the business. You see that? You hear that everywhere you go. You know what? Deacons in a lot of places have the same reputation as preachers do. And that I'll give you this illustration. I went to visit a lady probably 30 years ago. And when she was out in the yard working, it was a pretty day. And I walked up and I was visiting with her in the yard. And her neighbor walked up. So she introduced me to her neighbor as her pastor. And it was during one of those times when there was a big scandal with one of the TV preachers going on. It was all over the news. And so she introduces me to... Her neighbor is the pastor and this neighbor who had never seen me in her life. She said, oh, you one of, and she called his name. You one of them, huh? See, preacher, it used to be preachers were respected and they were the, right? It, it was an honorable thing to be a pastor or a preacher. Now people's kind of, it's like used car salesmen and attorneys <laughs> and deacons. Seriously. Called into question. Scorned, mocked, made fun of. Watch TV. The stupidest people on TV are preachers. If you watch TV, and the most dishonest, they've even got they've even got TV programs. One of them was what the preacher's wife. They're just humiliating Christianity. That's what it's all about. So what we have to understand is uh, sometimes we may have to back up. And instead of looking at culture for our explanation of the way things are supposed to work, we might look at the scripture. And it occurred to me as I stripped away everything I've ever been taught about this and just let the scripture speak for itself. Here it is, plain and simple. We have in the early church a a time when unity is beginning to vanish. There's murmuring and complaining. The apostles say, we don't really have time to address these kinds of things. So we're going to choose some other people who can. And those people were chosen to alleviate that situation. And those people could rightly be called peacemakers. That's the job of a deacon. To be a peacemaker. To deal with, in this context, to deal with this situation. To go in here and talk to these people and try to find a solution. And be a peacemaker in this situation. And that's what they were called to do. And that's what they did. A peacemaker, not a ruler, as we see on the next screen. 
thank the Lord in, in our church, and I, I don't mean this church, but I mean in our organization, denomination, and, 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 and where we are in our church and in our background, we don't have this problem with deacons. But there's some places where a pastor can't even preach the Bible without the deacons telling him what he can and he can't preach. And you can't preach on this in this church and you can't preach on this in this church. And if you do, we're going to vote you out. You'll be gone. It's not supposed to be that way. The deacons are not rulers. The deacons are peacemakers. And literally, the word means, and it's on the screen there, diakoneo is a deacon in the Greek. It means to be an attendant. In other words, to wait upon, like a waitress, menially, or as a host, friend, or teacher, minister, and servant. Deacons are servants. Pastors are servants. We all are to serve each other, which promotes unity. Nobody is the, the, the boss with the, 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 the dictator. That spirit is not supposed to even be in a church. Amen? We're all workers together with the Lord. And the pastor and the deacons and others, we're all working together. And we're supposed to walk in lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering and bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity and the spirit of the bond of peace. Well... Amen. Why? Why is this important? It's because we're all different. Next screen, please. We're all different. How many of you know we're all different? Differences in personalities, right? We all have a different personality. We, we are different culturally. If you'll look on the front of your bulletin today, I, I chose that picture for a reason. Because you see their different skin colors, different cultures. Uh, you see a person with a headdress on. Uh, you see different styles of worship, perhaps. Some are standing, some are kneeling. Just You see all kinds of differences on that bulletin cover there. That's the way people are. We are different. We're different, have different personalities. We have a different culture sometimes. We have different genders. Anybody want to say amen? Is there a difference between the, the mindset, the emotions, the attitudes between a man and a woman? We're different. We're different. Language. There's language differences. There are different preferences. Some people like a car that's white. Some people like a car that's bright orange. <laughs> True. All you got to do is look in the parking lot or compare the houses we live in or compare the, the... We're different. And our backgrounds, my goodness, what could be said about that? Our past. Where have we come from? That molds how we think. And then we come together in the body of Christ with people of different personalities, different people from different cultures, different genders, different languages, different preferences, different backgrounds. And boy, is there a potential for problems. Amen? Amen. So how do you handle that? How do you handle that in lieu of the fact that God says that unity is extremely important? 
And unity, unity can be seen and felt and observed and smelt even. It, it, you, you know when unity's there and you know when unity's not there. And the Lord says we're supposed to be unified. We're supposed to walk humbly and lowly and long-suffering and all these things. That, now, that's, that's the way of Christ's. Amen? Stop Pastor Ron's opinion this morning. I'm just sharing with you what the Word of the Lord says. And I will tell you that there are some times when Christians disagree. Yes or no? Do Christians ever disagree? Should Christians ever be disagreeable? No. There's a difference between disagreeing and being disagreeable. Amen? I know Walter well enough. To know that he and I could disagree on some things, but we also don't have to be disagreeable when we do it. We can still love one another, still fellowship with one another. He can still sit there and listen to me preach, say amen. It doesn't have to destroy the fellowship or the unity in a church. And the same can be true. Truth be told. Truth be told, if dad and myself have a conversation about any number of things, there are times when we don't exactly see eye to eye. True? We have difference. We think differently. I don't always agree with Dad. I know he don't always agree with me. But I'll tell you what, there's not a man walking the face of the earth that I have more confidence in him. I mean that. I love him. But we don't always agree. That's a principle we're going to have to learn as Christians. It doesn't matter the skin color or the age or the gender or the culture. None of that matters. We're going to have to learn to love one another and treat each other as if we're brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, which we are. Amen. Never would we try to say, we're all just zombies and we think like each other. We don't. We never will. Never have and never will. Bible never says that. Never. Paul and Barnabas, and I'll do this really quickly. Paul and Barnabas got ready to take a journey in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15. Paul said, let's go back and visit some of the churches we've already been to. Barnabas said... Sounds good to me. Let's go get John Mark to go with us. Paul said, no way. He's not going with us. He left us last time in the middle of our trip and he's not going this time. They had a difference of opinion. And the Bible says that the contention between them was so great that for the sake of unity, now listen to this. The contention between them was so great. They had a difference of opinion. Paul says, we're not taking him. He quit on us last time. Barnabas says, yeah, he's going with us. And the contention was so great between them that for the sake of unity, one went in one direction preaching the gospel. The other went in the other direction preaching the gospel. They still loved one another. They still respected one another. There was still unity. They just decided it was time to part ways. Amen. A little bit later in the scripture, you'll see Paul and Peter have this little, um, we could call it a confrontation. I guess you'd call it a confrontation uh, with no hesitancy because 
uh, Paul said, when I saw Peter, I withstood him to the face. I stood right up to him. Because, and he went ahead to explain that, 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 that Peter had been hypocritical in his view. And that one time he's associating with the Gentiles and having dinner with them and, and developing friendships. But when the Jews came from Jerusalem, he kind of pulled away from the Gentiles and sided with the Jews. And, and he said, that, that, that's hypocrisy. And it caused a little rift there. But you know what? Both of them kept living for the Lord, preaching the gospel. And moving forward. So we see those types of things. You can overcome things like this. But, but listen, there is this dynamic called unity. That is so important. And we're coming in for a landing right now. John 13 verse 35 is the litmus test. Next screen, please. By this... Now, who's speaking here? Jesus is. Red letters. Jesus said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Let me ask you, based on what Jesus said, you tell me what the proof is that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it speaking in tongues? No. It is not. Is it being in the top 10% of givers in a church? No. No. Here's the litmus test. By this, Jesus said, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. It's, it's unity. It's unity. It's the litmus test about where we stand with the Lord. I can tell you as a pastor now for 35 years plus, I have, I have seen plenty of people that, that showed some of the signs of being spiritual that I've already shared that wouldn't even speak to other people in the church. And I, I join in with Paul here and says, just boldly declare that it's more important to love people than it is to speak with tongues. That's what Paul said. Amen. Now, I'm not saying anything against speaking in tongues. Don't, don't go, go away saying that. I just read to you three times in the New Testament they did that, and I believe the Bible. I believe it can still happen and should still happen today. That's not the point. The point is people who, like they were in Corinthians, who thought they were so spiritual and they spoke in tongues all the time, and Paul wrote to them and said, you don't even love, love each other. You don't even love each other. So the litmus test, according to Jesus, was... If you have love one for another, then people can identify that you're Christian. Listen, in John 17, Jesus prayed a prayer. Five times he says this. Next slide, please. Five times he says this, that they may be one. Jesus is praying to the Father. He's praying for us, and he prays that we might be one. Lord, he says, those that you've given me and those who are going to believe the word of those you have given me, Help them to be one so that the world may know that you have sent me. So that the world may believe in who I am. Help them to be one. Someone has said that that is the only prayer that Jesus ever prayed that has not yet been answered. Because we are not one in the church world in the United States or worldwide, are we? We are not one. 
We are quite divided. But Jesus prayed that we might be one. Listen, can I just say this as pastor of New Life Church? Please don't open your mouth and criticize any other church. They may not look at things the way we look at them. That's fine. Don't criticize them. It's not our job to stir up junk and criticize other Christians. They can look at us and they can see things in us that they might not understand about us. And they don't need to be criticizing us either. But, oh goodness. The Apostle Paul on one occasion said, If you all don't quit doing what you're doing, you're going to bite and devour one another until you consume one another. Whoa. You tell me how much credibility Christians have in our culture today. Not very much. And why is it? It's because there's a lack of unity. We don't, as broadly speaking, across... Listen, a lady came up to me yesterday in the fall festival back here at the door and told me where she was going to church. And she said, I go to Richland Creek. And I said, God bless you. That is a great church. I brag on that church. It is a great church. And, and if it's First Baptist or, or, it's a great church if they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to criticize that church. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall in that trap about criticizing people. Don't criticize churches. People are listening. People are watching. By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And if we get critical of people and critical of churches, they're looking at us and say, that ain't no Christian right there. And you know what? They're right. You can't be Christ-like and do that. Well, is it possible to have unity? Yes, it is. But only through and by the same Holy Spirit that came on Pentecost. So I'm closing in this passage as our musicians come forward. Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, turn with me. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 beginning at verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Boy, is that not an unbelievable statement that he would make to Christians? If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And he goes right on into this discussion, Paul does. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse 19, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he turns around and gives us the other side of the coin where he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Can everybody say fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy 
and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. That short fuse we were talking about earlier, it, it, it's done away with. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. And if you believe it's the Word of God, would you say amen? amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together, shall we? Most of the time when we sing this song, we sing it, we run around, we shake hands, and we hug one another. That's not what I'm after today. I'm after us listening to the words, having now heard the word of the Lord, singing these songs, and thinking about the implications for us personally. Let's sing Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the glory of my King. And I love you with the love of the Lord. Think about what you're singing. Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the glory of my King. And I love you with the love of the Lord. Now is that love important? It's love, it's love, it's love that makes the world go round. It's love, it's love, it's love that makes the world go round. It's love, it's love, it's love that makes the world go round. It's love that makes the world go round. So what are we supposed to do? So Somebody's just saying this one. You're my brother, you're my sister.
us, bind us together, Lord, bind us together, and Lord, that cannot be broken, bind us Help us get our eyes on you so the other junk doesn't even seem to be there anymore. When we're looking at the right things, we won't see the others. And thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Sherry, Elvis, you guys come right ahead if you would. Most of you know that Sherry and Elvis are going to be married in just a few weeks here in the church. Um, Sherry's father, just this past week, she found out is very, very weak, very low. Not going to be able to come to the wedding. As a matter of fact, I didn't know if he'll live until the wedding. And so we're going to pray for him today. I'd like for uh, several of you who are willing to come around, our elders and so forth, and let's pray together. If you believe in the power of prayer, James chapter 5, the anointing of oil, we're going to anoint Sherry today, and we're going to ask the Lord to minister to her father. 
They're going to try to make a trip up there and visit him before that time. It's very difficult for Sherry. What's his first name? Jerry. We want to pray for Jerry today. Amen. Holy God, Lord, we come to you and we anoint with oil as your word teaches. Today we lay hands on Sherry and we we call out Jerry's name in prayer. We pray that you would minister to him. Lord, here is a, a, a young lady who is burdened. Lord, and looking at one of the happiest days of our life. And Lord, it's being shadowed now by one of the saddest as her father is sick. We're asking that you would minister to him. Lord, I learned a long time ago that I don't know the answers. I don't know what's best. But today I find great comfort in being able to look to you and say, Lord, I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done in Jerry's life and in this situation. We commit it to you. You're an awesome God. We love you today. And Lord, we're just asking that you would minister to him. Lord, we're asking that you, uh, if it would be within your will, Lord, that you would spare him and allow them to get there to be able to visit share some love with him. Just minister to him, we pray. He's a very sick man, but you're a very great God, and we're asking you to minister. Be merciful to this family. Oh God, touch them, we pray in Jesus' name. We love you today. Lord, touch Elvis, touch Sherry. Lord, this precious son here, bless this family. What a beautiful family. Do a work in their lives, we pray. Keep your arms around them. May they feel your presence and know that you're with them every step of the way. In Jesus' name we ask you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. We love you guys. This church loves you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Awana Bible study. Wednesday evening. We hope to see you then. God bless you.